0: Rachel Meadle from Talking With Tech.
1: And I'm Chris Bougay from Talking With Tech.
0: We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs.
1: If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities.
0: And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field
1: who are working with children or adults Anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly/slash TWT podcast.
0: Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say,
2: however they want to say it.
1: Please listen carefully.
2: What is communication?
1: An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster enough. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other.
2: Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people, connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. It draws us out of ourselves. Draws us into that relationship. You know, builds up our families without any loss. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants. Frustrations and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information.
1: Welcome to Speech Science, episode 97. It is the Asha episode because when this goes live, we should all be down in Asha. I'm Matt Hott, joined this week by Michelle Wintering. Good morning or good evening, afternoon, good night, Michelle. How are you? Whenever we're recording, that works. Hi, Matt. <laughs> michelle it is asha week it is just the two of us michael is not on the call with us this week but i'm excited because asha is like a mini work vacation
0: i'm i'm so pumped because i haven't been to asha since it was asha denver Um, and i saw you at that when i lived in colorado and i get to go to sunny florida for some asha fun this next week
1: I was going to say the last time I was at ASHA, I had to see the giant bear every time I wanted to walk anywhere in the convention center. There was a big blue bear in the Denver uh, convention center, but this year it is in Orlando. Uh, It is at the Orlando convention center outside the foothills or the foot foot stoop, the stoop of Universal Studios. Uh, And I know the closing party is at Universal Studios this week. Uh, We will get into all of that a little bit later. But on this episode, Michelle, it is part three of your interview series on teletherapy, correct?
0: Correct, with Kristen Martinez from Presence Learning. So hopefully you all have enjoyed the first two parts where we talked about um, what is teletherapy and how you evaluate with teletherapy. And I think last week was on treatment sessions and what a treatment session actually looks like. And then the final part Uh, with Kristen was about discharge and a lot more FAQs about teletherapy.
1: Looking forward to that. Also on this episode, we will do a brief uh, what's going on at ASHA. Uh, We're also going to talk about the effect of text-to-speech rate for reading comprehension of adults with aphasia. Also, how would you feel if there was a camera aimed right at you during your therapy sessions? But the first story out of the block talking about literacy and dementia. And, Michelle, I thought we'd jump right in there. Evidently, the more literate, the more books you read, it may help your brain a little bit.
0: And I like how you sent me both of these articles, Matt, and one (laughs) you even pointed out, one calls it Literacy Might Shield the Brain from Dementia, and the other title is Illiteracy Makes Dementia Three Times More Likely. So same information, (laughs) different take on it you know, the lack of literacy or being literate. Um, But I don't know, it ties back into that being a lifelong learner and reader is only going to help our brain health.
1: The original article is coming out on Neurology, uh, neurology neurology.org, labeled illiteracy, dementia risk, and cognitive trajectories among older adults with low or lower education. Um, This was published uh, this month. Basically, the conclusion they found that illiteracy was independently associated with a higher risk of prevalent and incident dementia, but not with a more rapid rate of cognitive decline. The independent effect of illiteracy on dementia risk may be through a lower range of cognitive function, which is closer to diagnostic thresholds for dementia than the range of literate participants. Michelle, I found this very interesting just because when I'm working with my adult patients, a lot of the times what I try to tell them is that if you can try to keep your brain engaged and active, we can help fight off or, or maybe even reverse some of the effects of, of dementia and depending on the type of dementia as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, when I was reading through this and it talked about one of the quotes was: "Being able to read and write allows people to engage in more activities that use the brain, like reading newspapers, helping children and grandchildren with homework. So you're able to participate in those brain training almost activities in in your daily life. That doesn't mean there aren't other things that can, you know, mm-hmm. challenge our brain and grow our brain. Whether it's music or, um, you know, puzzles. There's there's things that are not literacy that challenge the brain, but." This goes along with other research that shows that reduction in a risk of dementia or Mm -hmm. uh, in the severity of some dementias. But it also got me thinking with just evaluations. If we're evaluating someone with dementia or with any cognitive deficits, we rely pretty heavily on literacy a lot of times Mm -hmm. to test it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, the, you know, I, I use the mini mental and the slums pretty quickly, which is the St. Louis University memory scale, I think it is, or status. Um, and, you know, part of it is write, read a sentence, write a sentence. And, you know, we you like you said, we, we rely on that literacy part. Uh, they said, among those who did not have dementia at baseline, illiterate participants were twice as likely to develop dementia – Uh, during the course of the study, which was including 983 adults who participated in a longitudinal community aging study. Uh, Literacy was self-reported by answering the question, did you ever learn to read or write? Uh, And neuropsychological measures of memory, language, and visuospatial abilities were administered at baseline and at follow-up at about three and a half years later. And at each visit, uh, functional, cognitive, and medical data were reviewed and a dementia diagnosis was made using standard criteria.
0: All right. Now, a question for you, Matt. Have mm-hmm. you had to do an eval with someone, an adult, who was illiterate?
1: No, not illiterate. I've done eval. Well, maybe. Now that I think about it. Off top of my head, nothing really springs to mind. I've had a couple patients that have been blind. Mm-hmm. or extremely hard of hearing. And I've seen results be affected by that because like, are, are you familiar with the mini mental or the slums?
0: Mm, very vaguely. Very, so vaguely.
1: give me, give me a quick rundown. Okay. So on both tests you have to find out what, if the patient is orientated to the time date and like location, uh, then there's like a memory part where you ask them to name a few things and they have to, um, and then there's also a part where they have to read or write a sentence and then also draw a clock or draw uh, a symbol. And if you can't do that visually, you're in trouble and you score much lower on that test.
0: Mm-hmm. And the mini mental, isn't that the one we've talked about that is almost too short, right? That can be, especially when we're talking about <laughs> payment reimbursements and identification and nursing homes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, man, I was thinking of one patient that I had worked with in acute care that I evaluated, and I was super grateful to have his, um, his family with him uh, for that evaluation because he was not a reader, but uh, was super sharp, and they told me when he missed a question about uh, a date that mm-hmm. I would never have known that his um, his baseline was super sharp and that he remembered all of his nieces and nephews' birthdays and never forgot anniversaries and all that sort of thing. But if I didn't have that family member there, there's no mm-hmm. way I would have known
1: that. Yeah, that baseline data is super important to know because like, a lot of times I'll go into somebody's home and there's no family there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, you seem okay. Yeah are you okay and they're like i'm fine and then you kind of leave and then they're you know a family member calls you later and say my grandma is exactly (laughs) what you said yeah
0: well our takeaway from these articles is definitely um reading is good for you at any age
1: (laughs) that feels like the motto of speech science it's right (laughs) our, our, our show says we're answering the question what is communication it really should be what are you reading this week? Head over to our website, speech podcast.com. From there, you can email us, speech podcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 614 681 1798, or find us all over the webs. On Everywhere. Twitter, it's uh, speech science PC. On Instagram, it's speech underscore science. But of course, always hashtag SS pod. And we would love for you to find us over on the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash SpeechSciencePodcast as well. Right? Yep. Yep, and I think so. Tag next article. us in your
0: ASHA post.
1: Yes, tag us in your ASHA post this week.
0: Hashtag, Hashtag SS-pod. SSPod.
1: Michelle, that was Jinx and you owe me a Coke.
0: Oh, look at if that. If I was well, still I'll allowed to you. drink a Coke. I'll see you in ASHA. So.
1: <laughs> Michelle, my question to you, this next article coming out of EducationDive.com, how would you feel... And I, and I know we went to OU where we had, Ohio University, we had cameras in our therapy room all the time. How comfortable would you be with a camera uh, on your therapy sessions all the time?
0: You know, I remember going into grad school and thinking, oh, goodness, we are being watched every single second. But you kind of just get used to it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't phase me after a long time. And I remember going to work and thinking, oh, this is kind of nice to not have it. Not like you think not you're trying to get away with anything, but it's kind of nice to not have that camera extra eyes on you. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, depending right. on the setting and the use of it.
1: Dallas Independent School District trustee wants cameras in all special education classrooms as a means to protect vulnerable students as well as teachers from being falsely accused of wrongdoing. Uh, Texas law already requires districts to place cameras in special education areas if requested by a parent, staff member, or district trustee, and parents can view the video. The law was implemented after reports of children being abused or mistreated at school. Uh, You know what? I mean, I kind of had the opposite feeling that you did. Okay. A little bit that I loved having the extra set of eyes in the therapy room. Mm -hmm. um now i don't know how it was at other places but michelle you and i went to ohio university where we had clinical supervisors watching us on camera and if the treatment session went off the rails like one did for myself where a student bit me in the face uh our supervisors were able to come down the hall pretty quickly and intervene uh, as necessary uh thanks mrs taylor for saving my pretty face from getting bit (laughs) up he but still looks good. <laughs> I still look good. Thank you. I still have my faces. Uh, and shout out to Marion. Is it Marion? Is that her name?
0: Is it Ro- Ro- you're combining a couple of professors there.
1: No, 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 no. The the student that we were in grad school with.
0: Oh, I'm.
1: Yeah. I think anyway, need... <laughs> she was my partner and let me get bit in the face. So thanks for that one. But no, no. But like, I love the idea of, of cameras in, in the therapy session. Just because I sometimes forget what we worked on the last week. And if I didn't take a good enough note, it's kind of, I would love to have that video back up. Plus,
0: we didn't get to rewatch them though. No, I would, no, that no, that no. But I'm, I'm talking nice, like in like general, I would
1: love that.
0: Yeah. Well, and from a parent side, uh, mm-hmm. I have my son in daycare now, and his daycare and the vast majority of any daycare because we stopped in a few different ones um, and people that I talked to some have the ones that are actually secure and parents can log in from afar and and see what's going on Um, but I know that there's you know privacy things in regards to that but I know my son's daycare has a 24-7 camera in every room and that way they can review it's it's not like they look at it every day but um, it is always recorded so that if something were to happen, I think in many ways it doesn't just protect the kids, it also protects their yep. staff. Because just like this article said, what if something, someone said something happened, or a kid said something happened? They can actually look back and say, you know, what, what really happened here.
1: Uh, Superintendent Michael Hinoz, Hinoza. Uh, Doesn't support the plan. He cites the cost and also that there have only been a few requests to review videos that already exist in special education. Uh, This is coming on the heels of a substitute teacher beating a special needs 16 year old female student at the Kyle in Kyle, Texas. Uh, Investigators say it appears the student hit the substitute in the face and then the substitute responded by punching her, throwing her on the ground and then stomping on her head. Um, Already cameras are allowed in Georgia and also West Virginia recently passed a law allowing cameras in special ed classrooms after a Berkeley County instructor was caught on video telling a student, quote, I'll punch you in your face. I ought to backhand you right in the teeth. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And I always feel bad when I withhold a reinforcer until my student requests it. These people need to be drummed out and this is the greatest reason for cameras, mm-hmm. if you ask me.
0: Huh. Well, uh, cameras are becoming such a common thing that I think back to when I started babysitting in, in fifth or sixth grade. And even mm-hmm. my parents told me, and it, it wasn't meant to be scary, but it was just meant to tell me that that was the beginning of of people having nanny cams or having yeah. some kind of recording device in their house. And those are pretty commonplace now. Security systems and and cameras for the main living area. You know? So um, I remember thinking, oh, well, yeah, you, you have to realize that almost anywhere you are now, you could be recorded.
1: I know a former uh, host of the show, Lucas Stuber, uh, he had cl- uh, cameras in his clinic mm-hmm. that recorded 24 or not 24 seven, but every therapy session uh, so that he could review it with parents and, you know, review what went right. And unfortunately, sometimes what went wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's important, too, to to say to parents that as much as we are the the expert in this field, that we're going to do things, you not do the prompts right or set up things right exactly. or look at it and say we could do this better. And here's what we can learn from it.
1: Athletes review their game tape. We should be reviewing our therapy tape.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Head over to our website. Tell us, are you in favor of cameras or do you think it's Big Brother in, intruding on your therapy session, speechsciencepodcast.com, email at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798, hashtag SSPod, wherever you find us on social media. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll review Asha as well as the effect on text-to-speech. But first, Michelle, you and Kristen Martinez, part three this week, right? Part three
0: of our teletherapy interview series uh, with Kristen Martinez from Presence Learning. You can find out more at PresenceLearning.com, but this will wrap up the three-segment three um, interview with some frequently asked questions and info on discharge and teletherapy.
1: Looking forward to that and looking forward to your re- reactions at home. You're listening to Speech Science.
0: Hi, I'm mei Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders podcast, where we spotlight high profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing change makers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world.
2: Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Speech Science. This is Michelle and I am here again with Kristen Martinez out of Colorado with Presence Learning, a teletherapy company that serves um, students in schools. Uh, So SLPs, school psychs, and OTs as well. Is that correct?
2: Uh, Yep, absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Well, welcome back. Thank you for uh, trekking through with me. We're actually recording them (laughs) uh, back to back, but you guys will hear them as they go through the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about discharge and about IEP meetings when you're that distance SLP when you're Mm -hmm. not in person, Um, and also especially when it comes to case management or when you have a a kiddo who is speech primary. Um, You know how you run an IEP meeting or plan for that IEP meeting when when you're not physically there Um, but before we jump into that quick question that I had from another SLP Uh, when you're talking to parents about teletherapy I know a concern that comes up that I've been told or parents will ask they say what about the screen time question so is that Hmm. something that you address with with families or with the parents of your students
2: yeah this is you know it's interesting I I certainly we hear this sometimes from school districts as you know they're hearing from parents mm-hmm. um i i think more and more um you know what i've been reading about research is that it's not necessarily the amount of screen time but the nature of what is happening on the screens and how it's being used i mean today i mean kids are on screens a lot in school um it's you know all of my I have three daughters, um, their textbooks are online. All of their, most of their assignments are submitted online. They have all have laptops in class. So I, I think that it's dissipating a little bit just because 21st century education is largely embracing the resources that are online. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly once in a while, I think, We might have an individual parent who wants to talk about it. We, you know, we really engage, we invite parents to observe sessions um, if they, if they have concerns and typically after doing so, they, they feel much better. (laughs) They just, they realize how similar it looks to if they observe a session of um, in-person SLP Um, you know, we're working on the same, the same goals, Um, the kids are engaged, they're responding, they're making progress, so usually when parents do see that, when they see their child is making progress on goals, um, they like coming to speech often, um, it's, they, they usually, those types of concerns tend to, tend to go away.
0: Oh, good, that, I mean, that helps me too, I, and the focus on quality, like you said, versus Mm -hmm. just how many minutes with the screen? What are they getting from it? Yeah.
2: And I think another really important piece is I I have had parents who um, their assumption was that their child was sitting in front of a recording for speech, which that's that's a horrifying thought. Yes. If I was a parent and I thought that my child was going to speech therapy and it was just a recording, um, I would be very concerned. Um, So that is just never the case um you know the gold the gold standard current teletherapy services are synchronous live sessions so it's not it's not a canned anything so hopefully parents understand that <laughs> to start
0: well thank you for that and <laughs> uh to to wrap up kind of our, our segments that we did, we did, you know, doing an evaluation. What does that look like? The last week was treatment sessions and what those actually look like the nitty gritty there. Um, this time, what, what does it look like when you are discharging a patient? Obviously the same sort of standards apply as when you're in person, but, um, especially when it ties to that IEP team.
2: hmm yeah so the, that's a great question and again, I mentioned in one of the previous segments that at presence learning we it's really important we play um, place a high premium on contracting with SLPs who have worked in schools at some point in person. Um, we think it's we believe it's really important first of all that they understand how to write an IEP, how to complete. An educationally based assessment and make an eligibility determination in the schools, but also just understanding what teams, how IEP teams work in the schools. Um, Who is included? What does that look like? So, having that base knowledge is really helpful so that they can move forward and then do the same thing, but virtually. So, in terms of uh, discharge, um, you know, a service being, dis- or a child being dismissed from services. Of course, as you said, we're following the exact same procedures as you do when you're there in person Um, in terms of, you know, typically oftentimes this happens at a triennial review where the student is up for evaluation and so formal testing, the SLP will still complete the formal testing online, Um, all of the informal testing that needs to be done, talking to teachers, parents, um, you know, checklists, whatever, whatever would comprise that comprehensive evaluation, and then as part of the IEP team, the decision is made. Um, usually, what, what we always ask is that districts give the assigned SLPs access to their IEP system. So our therapists are still they're working in the system, just like the on site SLPs are entering the information, completing IEP paperwork. Um, so so those all of those processes are still there. They're still in place. Um, We're just doing it from a distance. Um, Actually, you know, case managing, meaning that we're working with speech primary or speech-only students, however you refer to them. We, again, really the only difference is that we do need somebody in terms of running the IEP meeting. You know, the SLP is still has the agenda, runs the meeting, but there does need to be a facilitator. There needs to be somebody there to actually call up the SLP on the phone and put them on speakerphone in the room or log into their therapy room so they can attend by video, whatever that looks like. They're, you know, to gather signatures from parents there in person. So those types of just actual physical things, um, there's usually an administrator, somebody in the building, an LEA, who is doing that piece. Um, so there's, you know, there are some logistical pieces that require some help from an on-site personnel, but in terms of the actual being responsible for the paperwork, um, the evaluations, the report, uh, running the IEP meetings, that still is, you know, still lies with the treating SLT.
0: And so you really do, it sounds like you would just have to really build those connections with the aid or with another staff member or a teacher who could facilitate for you Mm -hmm. and make sure those those papers are signed and that things can be right to check the box
2: it is it's it is important um, and it can look different um, depending on just even within a district sometimes building to building it looks different in terms of who is that person who is really the best person to work with you Um, sometimes you know in some buildings where they do have SLPAs sometimes the SLPA will help with that and facilitate some of that um it might be an assistant principal or a sped coordinator so that can, that piece can vary but you know all of the all of the roles and responsibilities uh, remain the same in terms of being the responsible case manager or related service provider for students
0: so i know in our our last segment you mentioned matching up in therapy groups teletherapy groups uh, students who have a similar diagnosis. It got me thinking: Are you able to, you know, take some of your contract SLPs if they have a specialty area and connect them with with kids mm-hmm. who may never had that specialist in fluency or the specialist in mm-hmm. um, Spanish bilingual? You right. Know, what their what their specialty might be.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and not not one of the advantages we talked about in the other yeah. segment, but it absolutely it absolutely is an advantage that. Um, I would say most, what we do most often is, as you just mentioned, bilingual. Um, Being able to, we contract with a lot of bilingual SLPs who then, they probably have a higher number of state licenses because then they can, we can utilize them. They can work in more states um, providing either bilingual evaluations or providing bilingual services. Um, So that is a huge advantage. You know, we will come into some school districts where there's, you know, some districts have just been struggling to have SLPs, period, let alone a bilingual SLP who might be able to complete bilingual evaluations. So sometimes what we're doing is actually coming in and finding that students maybe were qualified for services, but based on an English-only evaluation
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and so that English language learner piece was not teased out was not addressed and so then we can come in and do that ab- bilingual evaluation and really analyze okay what is what what are we looking at is this truly um, a disability or is it just a language learning um, issue um, but yes and so we also have providers who might be specialists in AEC, they, um, you know, might be fluent in ASL. So those are also areas where not as common as bilingual, but certainly um, we can try to make a match between students who do have very specialized needs with therapists who have very specialized training.
0: That was just something I know that's not really in <laughs> our our segment. Talk, it, it, it got me thinking of, yeah. of an advantage uh, mm-hmm. when you have a specialist that you could match them up. Um Now, if there's someone who yeah, probably like me has, has thought of teletherapy, you keep hearing it come up, especially mm-hmm. if you've been practicing in the last decade, it went from not really hearing much about it to, right. um, to it's, uh, it pops up all the time. right. And right. then, you know, having the, the actual guidance from ASHA on it as well. Um, mm-hmm. What, what do you want them to know? Like what, what should they do if they're like, "Hey, I'm thinking about this."
2: Interested. Next in steps. There's a lot of resources. So, like you said, it's really it's kind of exploded. Um, there are a couple of probably more than a couple, but I know of at least two or three Facebook groups, for instance, um, for SLPs in telepractice. So um, I see a lot of a lot of newbies, a lot of people who are just kind of dipping their toe in, pop up in those Facebook groups, asking questions. Um, I, you know, I think that, I don't think that should be the sole source, um, because sometimes it can be a little bit skewed, depending on who's on there, but there are some, there are some individuals who have great experience, and um, there are, there are people out there who offer consulting, and so I think especially for people who want to do this, Independently, they aren't looking to join a company they just want to integrate teletherapy into maybe an existing private practice um, the, there's some kind of like boot camps um, that you can do for teletherapy so um, you know there's no official certification out there, but just in terms of learning the basics, which is really you know there are you know we we ta- we touched on some of them in terms of equipment and licensure and um, privacy issues like there's there are definitely um, some some basic things that anyone going to teletherapy regardless of how they choose to do so they should they need to have a handle on um, to make sure that they're being compliant and that they're not violating any <laughs> state regulations or privacy laws or anything like that so um, the nature of teletherapy being online does open up some issues like that that you just wanna make sure that you're educated about. Um, so that can be a first step. Um, other people go straight to, for instance, contracting with a company like Present Learning. And so that certainly has its advantages in that um, there's a lot of support provided. Um, we, you know, basically kind of hand over, like these are the basics and we'll we'll facilitate, we'll, you know, they still have to do their own cross-licensure, but we can give you some resources. Like, this is where you need to go. This is the website. This is what you need for this state versus that state. So some people, I think, really like they prefer that having some support, having more um, re- just resources available without having to do so much independent research, I guess, and kind of digging on their own. Um,
0: so. Now you you did mention that with presence learning in particular, and I'm sure it's different with different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are contract independent contractors, right? So is that typically an hourly rate? So that that SLP that clinician would clock in for IEP meetings or for paperwork or for mm-hmm. um, treatment? How does that look?
2: Yeah. So again, I can I can only speak to our structure. Um, we do, yes, all of our therapists are independent contractors um, at an hourly rate, and presence learning does reimburse for both direct therapy and indirect work. So um, planning, documenting, writing IEPs, evaluations. Um, so I think that, you know, it might be handled differently depending on the company, but um, at this point, that's how that's how we reimburse um, providers.
0: And I, th- I think that might be good for listeners who are thinking of it to to mm-hmm. remember to ask those questions if they're interviewing. Absolutely. The so that they know, yep. you know, what the reimbursement model mm-hmm. is.
2: Yeah, it is. It is important um, to understand. And I, you know, I know that for you know for some people, I think especially if they're coming from school district salaried positions. That's a big leap. Um other therapists have always been contractors. You know they've even if they've worked in the school, they did so through a contracting agency. so they're very they're used to that, um, and they're accustomed to it, and others it's it's a big change. So absolutely asking questions um, regardless of who you're interviewing with. Um, you know we you know we ask for a minimum of. Uh, about eight hours, eight to 10 hours um, of availability for direct and indirect work, um, all the way up to some people who are full-time, um, they're working, you know, they're working full-time hours, and uh, we have, I actually just, like, I think I mentioned that this is our presence learning's 10th year, and I was looking, you know, we have a handful of providers, I think maybe about nine or 10 who have been with us since that very first year. So we have therapists who have um, contracted with us for a long time. Um, And, you know, we have schools that we've been with for six and seven years. And so I have some therapists who have been with us for that many years, and they return, they've come back to the same school um, for years. And so even though they're teletherapists, they've still been able to have some continuity year to year with the school districts they're working in.
0: And that's, I mean, that's huge for students and teachers and staff yeah. too, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Yep. All right. Well, um, just out of curiosity, the where do you see teletherapy going? It's grown so much in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think in, in five years that's going to look like?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, anything, right? No. <laughs> yeah, anything. I mean, it really is. I you know, as a company, we're always looking to expand just our resources for therapists and for students. Um, you know, I would love to see, for instance, some really seamless integration with obcom devices and, you know, being able to, you know, we have, we have a lot of ways to adapt and to address like
0: the second yeah Yeah,
2: right and you know and being able to screen share apps and so there's there's a lot of ways but like i would love for it just to be all integrated and seamless um so we can program right there on the screen and you know it can tie in so i think that you know and there are some ways to program remotely depending on the device you're using and so you know i think that's a really exciting thing um i I think that theres great opportunities you know you talked about being um, in a military family um, and we do have therapists who live abroad and provide services in the states. We also have there's a lot of expats who have children you know they're they're living abroad and um, they have you know they they really would like their child to receive therapy from an American English speaking SLP um Hmm. yeah because they're worried about accents (laughs) like all different things. So I think that there's there's really just the limits we have are, you know, depending on access to technology, um, depending on where people are, um, and then regulations. And so, you know, that's that's what we are are dealing with in terms of okay, can we provide services out of the country? Can we um you know do this type of service in this setting so those are really the only limits as far as just the creativity and the, the capability that technology is bringing to our field it's pretty it's pretty limitless and exciting
0: that's awesome all right now a therapist abroad for example that you just mm-hmm. mentioned would they have to hold a license where the child is seated that they're treating Uh, And what about the country that they're in, I guess?
2: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is, you know, ASHA does have some some resources on this. It's less, I mean, within the United States, obviously, there's some pretty, we have some standards state to state. You know that you have to have a state license, oftentimes the Department of Education. Um, We have national certification. You go outside of the United States and it really varies. So. Some countries have, they do have organizations similar to ASHA. There is a governing body, and yes, you need to be licensed in that country. Um, Therapists always have to be licensed in the state where the child is sitting. So that doesn't vary at all um, for us. We only contract with SLPs who have their Cs, so that's the other piece. And so there's requirements in order to to get your Cs. Um so we know that those criteria have already been met. Um and then living abroad, um if there is an international license, then the therapist will hold that license. Um but other countries it's very it's vague. <laughs> it's very it's non-existent or it's it's pretty unclear, um, it's not regulated. So that so that, that can vary and it's really Again, because we don't, our therapists aren't employees, they're independent contractors. It is, it's a, it's really up to the independent contractor to understand the regulations um, for wherever they're living and where they're serving students.
0: Yeah. I, and I feel like there's a lot of info you've got to keep track of, depending on which <laughs> states or countries you're, you're practicing. Right. In, huh? mm-hmm. But I guess that would be a benefit of working for a company that could kind of help facilitate some of that
2: yes I, th- I think i think it is i think that's one of the advantages um especially if you are in a position where you are going to be moving frequently um you know having having some support around that i think would be, would be really nice
0: well on a lighter note um <laughs> will you be at asha this year will any of our listeners see? i
2: am yeah hey will so you be there
0: presence a- learning yes
2: I will. Yep. So we have a booth. Um, so, yes, I'd love for anyone to stop by and say hello. Um, a couple of my colleagues are presenting. So, Kelly Paul and Tammy Radzi are doing a presentation. They have a session on on teletherapy, specifically, um, really around how to case manage, how to do that virtually. Um, and then I am speaking at the SIG 18 meeting. So, SIG 18 is the special interest group for teletherapy. So, um, yeah, I have. I'll have the opportunity to introduce the meeting. Um, so, yeah.
0: Well, well I know our it. other co host, Matt, uh, will be there and I will be there as oh, well. Oh, good.
2: Great. So oh, exciting. I'll
0: find your booth and actually in action. Definitely. And not just over. Yeah. A <laughs> um, but as that we wrap great. up, um, Kristen, thank you very much. And for all our listeners, again, this is Kristen Martinez um, out of Colorado with Presence Learning. You can find out more at presencelearning.com or um, email you. Is that correct?
2: That's right, yep, yeah. com.
0: All right, and thank you again.
2: Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It was wonderful. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, welcome back to Speech Science, episode 97, Michelle. I cannot believe it, can you?
0: Lucky 97.
1: Uh, I'm Matt Hod, joined, as always, <laughs> Michelle Wintering in beautiful bluegrass state of Kentucky, is it as cold there when we're recording this a week before ASHA as it is up here in Cincinnati?
0: Yes, possibly colder.
1: Ugh, I hate, I love this weather. I hate this weather. Uh, I as, do love the snow, well, though, and we got snow. We got it about an inch and a half up here.
0: Yeah, us too.
1: This article, uh, this next one is coming out of the American Journal of Speech-Language Pathology, found over at the ASHA Wire. It's the effect of text speech rate on reading comprehension by adults uh, with aphasia. Uh, basically, what they did was they had 25 adults with aphasia read and listen to passages presented at slow rates, which was about 113 words per minute, the medium rate of 154, and the fast rate at 200 words per minute. Participants then answered comprehension questions, selected most and least preferred rates, following the first and third experimental sessions, and after receiving performance feedback, And they explained the rate preferences, reading and listening strategies.
0: And it sounds like the conclusion is that, so you said their medium rate was what again?
1: 154.
0: So the text to speech rate around 150. So just below that medium that they Mm -hmm. had when processing dual modality content um, seemed to be the most efficient.
1: Which makes sense. I mean, when we look at patients with aphasia, and, and even if we generalize this into just general receptive or expressive language deficits, if you're working with a student uh, or a school age student, it's language based. So if we're going too slow, you're going to run into the attention, de- like an attention issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If it's too fast, they're not. you're not going to be able to process it in time. You're going to miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. I was trying to count myself at 150 words per minute uh, before the show started. And if I did it right, it's about this kind of rate, about right around here is the 150 words uh, per minute.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I was wondering, do we have, did it say in here, I might have missed it, what is like baseline data for someone who does not have aphasia where their co- comprehension is best where is it most efficient
1: not that i found i found everything where they're looking at how patients with aphasia uh Mm -hmm. currently uh there was no control group if that's what you're asking
0: yeah i was just curious if there is uh, a difference or if this is applicable beyond aphasia
1: i would say so i mean like i work with a lot of my patients or students and we work on tapping out when reading Mm -hmm. trying to help slow them down yeah that pacing you know, I've got some kids that I'll, I, I, I nickname the machine gunners that when they go to read, they'll read, we assess participants, assessment results for research, speech language evaluations to determine them. I'm like, oh, slow down.
0: Ping, 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 ping. Yep. Yeah. We
1: are, we are not mowing down the enemy with our machine gun reading. Let's tap that out a little bit. And they seem to improve their cognition a little, or comprehension a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever used a metronome? No. For reading?
1: That would be fun.
0: Yeah, I actually, um, I haven't done it yet, but uh, we are getting an interactive metronome at the clinic I work at. So PTOT and speech can use it. Really? Hmm. I'll have to, I have no good info on it yet. <laughs> I will be learning about it as we go.
1: Um, so this is kind of a fun thing, now that you made me think about that. Uh, here are some songs that are at 150 beats per minute. So, if we're looking at 150 words per minute, mm-hmm. here's your here's your 150 beats per minute. Uh, Maroon 5, Harder to Breathe. Jason Mraz, I'm Yours. Justin Timberlake, What Goes Around. Katy Perry, The ET. And Avril Lavigne, Skater Boy.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, what is the beats per minute for Our CPR? Or Girls Just
1: Want to Have Fun as, as well. Say that again. That-
0: that they say for cpr we have staying to... alive well what, what how many beats per minute is it i can't remember
1: 30 i i, I it's 30 compressions that's all i know
0: uh yeah it's it's a 100 something i think it's 100 like between 100 and 120 beats per minute or something is what 103 to...
1: beats per minute which is the almost the exact rate at which chest compressions should be performed there you go So that is slower than this is saying is efficient for comprehension. Yes. So if you're singing Staying Alive, too slow, speed it up to uh, E.T. by Katy Perry or I Get Around by the Beach Boys. There you go. This is kind of a fun list. All right. Yeah. (laughs) What is your average rate beat per minute? Head over to our website, speech science podcast.com, or find us anywhere on the social medias with the hashtag SSPod. Or right now, pull out your phone, text message us six one four six eight one one seven nine eight. Unless you're driving, then tell Siri to do it. If you're walking around Asha
0: listening to us, which, which brings probably me, not, you're gonna be you're gonna be too busy. You'll listen to
1: us after. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> brings me to this: uh, the Asha announces the recipient of its prestigious public award, named the Annie after the Annie Glenn Award, uh, named after. John or Annie Glenn, which is the wife of John Glenn, the uh, first American in space. And John and Annie Glenn went to my college or I went to their college, uh, if you want to put it that way. So I always love the (laughs) Glenns. But now let's talk Asha. Uh, The recipient this year is uh, Taro Alexander, founder of Say, the stuttering association for the young. Uh, The award will be presented to Alexander on Friday, November 22nd. At the annual convention in Orlando, uh, Michelle, I'm excited for this year at ASHA. I am heading down. I'm leaving here in Cincinnati Wednesday morning about one in the morning, and we'll arrive in Orlando about five in the afternoon.
0: That's a long drive.
1: I've got two kids and a wife and a mom in the car with me, so I may be cuckoo for cocoa puffs by the time I pick get down me up
0: there. On the way, I'll <laughs> we come have over room.
1: To- <laughs> We have room in the bus, evidently. But no, i <laughs> will be excited. I'll be flying down. Are you flying? That afternoon. I'm excited for this. So there's a couple things happening. Uh, first, I will promote my part, and then we'll promote your part. But I will be at the Exceptional uh, Podcast Network, the XPN booth, uh, for the majority of the weekend, uh, meeting people, doing live interviews over there on uh, in the hall, do we have and a booth
0: number over there? Yeah.
1: I do not have a booth number. Okay, just curious. But it is the XPN booth, uh, with Mei Ling from Exceptional Podcast, and also uh, Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet from uh, Talking with Tech will be in the booth as well. So I'm super excited by that. I will also be uh, hanging out with my Asha seals, uh, you know, networking across the, uh, I guess, nation. I guess with other seals which are the state education advocacy leaders so that's what i'm doing but then michelle tell us the the wh questions we need to know the who what when where why how you're part of our live podcast this weekend
0: i am so thursday night uh there are multiple podcasts doing live interviews uh with a live audience so we will be in person up in front of you uh, doing some interviews and I will be speaking with a woman from an organization called hope speaks, um, who is, uh, starting a- it's a nonprofit, but to do speech therapy, um, in another country, he'll find out more.
1: That's awesome. And that is Thursday.
0: Um, I and believe then... seven thirty, if I remember right. Correct. Tickets are free, but you do need a ticket because there's limited seating.
1: Yes. Um, You also, if you want to hang out with some other SLP podcasters, uh, Islet Marinovich uh, from the Learn With Less podcast, Rachel Madel from Talking With Tech, and myself, along with Mei Ling, will be doing the SLP podcast, Broadcasting with Expertise, EBP, and Ethics. um, On Saturday at 12 o'clock, we will be uh, doing our live session. So that's kind of exciting as well. Uh, it's location CC331BCD. Uh, it's, it's course number 1872. So I'm always loving this, not just because of what happens during it, but it's all the fun stuff that happens afterwards. There's the networking. There's all the free pens in the booths because that's what I do. I go and get pens from everybody and pretend to, yeah, I'm interested in taking a job in Texas. Can I borrow your Can I get some free pens? I want the multicolor ones that you can
0: click through.
1: And also, please, if you find us, we'll take selfies with you, and then we'll put it up as the hashtag SSPod, and then we'll run a competition for the greatest or the goofiest uh, selfie when we come back from Asha. Michelle, I'm excited, though, because as well, the closing night party on Saturday night, uh, Harry Potter Land over at Universal Studios. Yeah, did you get signed up for that? Nope. I am going to Galaxy's Edge in Disney World. I will be on the planet Batuu, uh, flying the Millennium Falcon, building a lightsaber, and building my own little R2-D2 unit with my sons. Um, This is an opportunity we couldn't really pass up. So I will miss closing party... I tried to go, and it was booked. It was already sold out. Yeah. You're more than welcome to come over to Batuu with us. Hey. We need... We need a six to fly the Millennium Falcon. I'm just saying. I will jump on that if you're serious. There we serious. go. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. We're going to Hollywood Studios Saturday <laughs> night. So, Ah, uh, Michelle, I'm excited. So let's wrap this thing up because I know people that are listening on their way down, maybe, because this will drop. If everything is right, you should be listening to this Wednesday. So I'll be in the car listening to it as well. I'll With be on a plane. Home. There we go. Oh, Michelle, tell us something besides Asha that you're looking forward to, because we will not have a new episode next week. We will have a best of episode uh, while we all recover from Asha.
0: Recover. I know. (laughs) Uh, Back to reality and speech therapy. Um, Well, something lighter news. We did um, family photos with my husband and my son and I with the fall colors. We beat it by a week before the snow hit. So it was perfect. Um, and we just got those back, which is pretty fun.
1: You know what I What's sad about being up here in this like Midwest area, the Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Illinois area, mm-hmm. is that you always know when you're no longer going to have nice weather. And there's not a good way to put it. You just know. And I feel like we've already, we've hit that part where you're like, yep, I should have put up my Christmas lights last weekend. Because between now and Christmas, it is going to be bitterly cold.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. So I don't really blame the people who put them up early. No, nope. uh, I do have to chuckle though, having lived in in multiple states now, because um, my Ohio friends will post on social media and be like, "Only in Ohio, it goes from this temperature to this temperature." <laughs> but at the same time, I'm reading it's posts from. State. From my friends in Colorado who are like, only in Colorado is <laughs> it's summer and winter in the same day and then and then only in Kentucky, you know, you get yep. it in I, all the temperate states.
1: <laughs> I know it you know what though, I was like personally hoping that we'd have like another week or two of like decent weather and I was like, Okay, I'll get the Christmas lights up right around Thanksgiving. And now it looks like the temperature for the next like couple of weeks are gonna be highs of like forty-eight. And I hope we like, get that's... some comments
0: from our, our SLPs and yeah. the nice, the nice <laughs> 70, 70 degree climates <laughs> that
1: are oh, I, I telling us
0: all about it. Hey, we'll be in Orlando. That.
1: that is true. Uh, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, <laughs> what we'll be doing our music today, our intro music was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku find all of his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod it's licensed under a creative Commons attribution license and the immortal words of Janice Wright always be a willow don't be an oak the willow will bend and return to form for the absent Michael McLeod the present Michelle Wintering and myself Matt Hott so long everybody enjoy Asha and we'll see you in two weeks bye 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 Matt
2: This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.